2: Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb.
3: And I'm Julie Douglas.
1: And the title of this episode is From Nose to Tail, Colon, the Colon. See how we did that? Yeah, yeah, because this is the the final episode in our our journey. This is the tail portion that is uh, referenced in the title.
3: Yeah, you said you described earlier from tongue to taint. Yep, this is the bitter end, my friends. It's
1: not the sphincter.
3: I'm sure there are a lot. There are
1: there are a lot of yes. things, but uh, but those are the ones we're sticking to. So I wanted to start this one off with just a little bit of uh, a, a little an- uh, anecdote from history that I found uh, particularly interesting, and it, it and it involves a Scottish surgeon, which is also good because uh, we've been uh, taking this journey with mm-hmm. an imagined haggis, which is of course the the Scottish uh, delicacy. Would you call it a, a delicacy? Or is it just more of a Scottish cultural...
3: Cultural icon food. of yeah. food, yeah.
1: Yeah, which is a, it's a, it's a sheep's stomach, uh, stuffed with, uh, with meat and barley. Uh, and, and organs. And other things. Yeah. And various secrets. But, Spices. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but this, uh, particular, um, page from Scottish history is, a uh, Scottish surgeon Sir William Arbuthnot Lane, uh, from the early 20th century. And uh, this guy is notable because it was his big idea that we should uh, treat uh, constipation uh, and auto-intoxication, which is the state of being poisoned by toxic substances produced by the body, by shortening the highway, Mm
3: -hmm.
1: by removing a couple of feet of colon. And he later moves on to doing full colon, uh, and he later moves on to doing full colonectomies, stitching the small intestines directly to the rectum. In other words... Picking up where our last episode left off mm-hmm. and just deleting this episode entirely. So
3: he, deleting the small intestine?
1: Yeah, because he, he went on to judge the colon as, quote, a serious defect in our anatomy. And he was uh, all in favor of just, just cutting it out. It's just, let's cut it out. Let's just connect the small intestines directly to the end portion. And, uh, and as we discussed in previous episodes, the, the body does have a remarkable ability to, to flow with, with some of these, uh, um, Replumbing uh, surgeries that take place mm-hmm. uh, with our digestive system, but and the thing is, I should note that of course, uh, 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 colonectomies are occasionally, you know, very important. They they can be it can be a life saving procedure, but in this case, he was doing it to treat uh, constipation.
3: Boy, was he wrong!
1: He was wrong. Now he was apparently influenced by Russian Nobel Prize uh, uh, bacteriologist um, Eli Mekentkov who thought that w- that humans were evolving so fast that various parts of our bodies were going to quickly become obsolete. Uh. So he was influenced by this, and this ended up kind of uh, tarnishing his, his views of, hu- of human anatomy and human digestion to the point where he said, the colon? Who needs the colon? Screw that. Cut it out. Just hook it right up. Uh, and as Mary Roach points out in her uh, book, Gulp, he was kind of saying, "Let's let's treat constipation with just diarrhea. Diarrhea, I guess it's more
3: preferable. <laughs> right. Well, the thing is here is that the colon is hugely important as yes. we are going to discuss today many different aspects of it. In fact, Robert Rosenbluth, a physician that Mary Roach interviewed for Gulp, said, No engineer could design something as multifunctional and fine tuned as an anus. Yes. To call someone an yes, hole is really bragging him up.
1: Yes. And, uh, and I, and I, and, I want to add one more note about uh, Sir William here. Uh, later on, after his uh, reputation took a, a dive because mm-hmm. of this uh, this uh, this opinion of his regarding the colon. Because
3: he was trying to remove all his friends' colons.
1: Yeah, and the, the medical establishment um, pounced on him and said, you were nuts and this is awful, and, and rightfully so. Um, he later abandons it and, and does a complete turnaround and starts saying that exercise, fruit, vegetables, and bran cereal are the keys to fighting constipation.
3: Well, there you go. Yeah. You know, so he had a bit of a revelation there.
1: Yeah, and 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 I think maybe he realized that, yes. Well, I don't know if he really came around to thinking the colon was great, uh, but he definitely came around to saying, well, we don't need to remove it. There are better ways to deal with colon problems.
3: So I wanted just to kind of go ahead and dive into the colon, if yes. we can. Uh, because... We've got a lot to get to, and I thought that if we start talking about the physical description of what it looks like inside, it could serve in stark contrast to the small intestine, which, remember, is is pretty fancy, right? Yeah. It's got all the microvilli in it. It's and got- it's
1: where most of the nutrients are absorbed. This is going to be yes. vital with some stuff we're going to talk about later on. I use the example in another podcast that the whole digestion system is like bringing in a stolen Chrysler and then stripping it down of everything valuable and then spitting out an empty shell on cinder blocks um, in an abandoned part of town. So most of the car is stripped down. All the, all the really good stuff, the really important stuff is stripped away in, in the, the small, small intestine.
3: Intestines. And it does. It's super fancy in there, right? It's got those mucosal folds in it. Yes. But in stark contrast, we have the interior walls of the colon, uh, which Mary Roach says are as smooth and shiny as cling wrap. Okay. And the reason for this is because, of course, that is, uh, constructed in that way so that the feces can move through it with ease.
1: Yes, or as, as it sometimes referred to at this point or, or maybe a little more towards the very end as the fecal bolus in the same way that we were yeah. forming this bolus in our mouth to transport the matter down the throat. At this point, the bolus is on its way out. A different bolus entirely, <laughs> but uh, but still a bolus.
3: Yeah. Uh, now, the, the path of the colon is pretty circuitous. It's kind of like an upside-down U yeah. that surrounds the small intestines and uh, as if it were sort of like a frame yes. for, for your digestive system, or at least the lower part of your digestive system. So... The haggis on its journey through the colon, this former haggis, right, this now bolus uh, that is forming, would have water and salt extracted, which would leave more of a solid waste yes. product for us. And you would begin to see that mucus is produced throughout the colon, and that helps, again, the, the now mostly solid feces to move through the lower portion of the colon to the anus. Uh, wanted to point this out. This is going to seem pretty obvious, but uh, you might as well know with the mechanism in play here. When the feces is big enough and it pushes against the rectum walls with enough pressure, this pressure is measured by stretch receptors, and the defecation reflex is triggered.
1: Yes. And as Mary uh points out in her book, she has a whole chapter. Well, really, I think a couple of chapters, but one really powerhouse chapter dealing with uh, the rectum and the anus and everything going on here. It is a very sensitive part of the human anatomy, uh, because it has to, it has to be able to make judgment calls <laughs> essentially on exactly what's, uh, what's knocking at the door. Mm-hmm. Is it liquid? Is it solid? Is it gas? Is, is it something that, is it something that needs to come out now? Or is it something that can maybe late, wait until the end of the movie that you're watching?
3: A note on diarrhea, by the way. Yes. The more water in the feces, the more pressure in the colon and the more urgent the call of nature. Yes. So that's one of the reasons why there's a certain sort of diarrhea look that passes over our eyes when when we need to do that.
1: Yeah, it's it's why when, when diarrhea is coming... Uh, there's there's no waiting till the end of the movie. It's it's getting up and running to the to the bathroom yeah now.
3: yeah. It's a direct path to the bathroom, and the the reason for this is because the small intestine is actually moving the food through um, or the chyme through so quickly that the nutrients aren't absorbed. The, mo- the food molecules aren't completely absorbed, and this again creates a um, a load, if you will,
4: mm-hmm. in the
3: colon. The colon, <laughs> sorry, colons out there. Um, that is watery and larger, and is putting more of that pressure on.
1: Yeah. Now, as we can all um, attest to, you uh, when there is pressure there, uh, generally you can you can hunker down and say, "Not now, not now,"
3: uh-huh. and the body
1: will back off a little bit.
3: You can suppress it. You can
1: suppress it, mm-hmm. and and if you suppress it too much, though, you can get into this situation where it's actually a little difficult to convince your body, "No, seriously, now is a great time to poop." We should do this now. (laughs) There may not be a time later. This is the designated poofing time, and the body's like, I don't know. I'm really into holding it back these days. I learned that from you.
3: Okay, but here's the problem. When you hold it back, when you suppress that reflex, that defecation reflex, what Mm -hmm. happens? Well, the stool hangs out in your colon longer and longer, and the longer it hangs out there, the more water is absorbed from it, and the harder it gets.
1: Basically, kind of turns to concrete, or really more like hardened clay is the description that we uh, mm-hmm. kept coming across. Though there was one uh, mention of actual concrete, but that's 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 a whole other that's a whole thing. different area.
3: So it's sort of more of a vicious cycle going on here. The longer you suppress it, the longer it sits up there, and the harder it is to get it out.
1: Yes, and then you, this can lead to some some rather serious conditions as well, and and even uh, in in some cases, I mean, this can be lethal over time with the, with the more. Um, Uh, ponderous examples of compacted colons.
3: Yeah, we'll talk a little bit more about the role of constipation uh, and another aspect of of the colon in a bit, but I wanted to talk about another very infamous byproduct, which is gas.
1: Yes, gas. You
3: knew we were going to talk about it. We may even dedicate an entire episode to flatulence Mm -hmm. in the most elegant way possible that we can, but for now, um, we should probably talk about the role of beans, Yes. Because really, they're a huge culprit. They contain complex carbohydrates called oligosaccharides. And the small intestine is unable to absorb these complex carbohydrates. So they make their way to the colon, where bacteria and enzymes get to work on them, breaking them down. And in the process, a lot of hydrogen is created.
1: Yeah. Now, in a third of us, only a third of us, there's also methane. Yes. Which... um, as uh, as as Mary Roach pointed out in her previous book, Packing for Mars, this is one of the things that that uh, the screening process for astronauts has uh, has sometimes looked for. Mm-hmm. Which individuals that pass gas are going to create flammable methane as well? Those individuals arguably should maybe stay on Earth and not go into a compact uh, environment. Uh, where there's gonna be a uh, uh, you know potential risk for explosion
3: yeah and there's a way to actually test this is, mm-hmm. is through your breath because methane is absorbed through your bloodstream. so yeah. you and actually methane is it. not the,
1: uh, the the thing that's causing any smells no. too by the way yeah. for instance there are planets um, out there that are largely methane in composition and you might think oh if I get there it's just gonna smell like fart world but it's not gonna smell like fart world it's just it's not gonna right. smell like anything if
3: they were filled with sulfur though it would be fart world right
1: like Mars it apparently smells like rotten eggs. Because, yeah. of, uh, because, because of the because because of the chemical components there, but it's not because of methane.
3: So okay, what's the what's the big deal with hydrogen being created in your colon? Well it builds up uh, your colon begins to balloon with it, mm-hmm. right And if you have too much gas, then those stretch receptors let the brain know and the brain then interprets the stretching as threat in the form of a pain. okay. Um, and this is when the body then says, hey, let's just go ahead and release the hounds. And then,
1: and then you say, <laughs> the nobody, I'm in yoga class." And then, no,
3: right? You're yeah. like, "I'm in, I'm in yoga class, or I'm not in yoga class. I'm maybe in my car alone, hopefully." And uh, the the sphincter loosens, and a fart is born.
1: Yeah, it's particularly difficult in um, in yoga classes because you're going through a you're going through so many poses, and then so many times you're doing the left side than the right side. Mm-hmm. So you're doing the pose twice, and so I find myself in those situations. I'm uh, first of all, I'm, I'm mortified by the possibility. Of being the person who farts in yoga class. Even though it's perfectly natural and I don't judge people who do it.
3: You know the yoga teacher is going to kind of be like a little bit proud of you.
1: Yes, I, I, sometimes they are. Sometimes they're very gung-ho. Like they're basically like standing O. For, yeah, like you are in touch with your body. You're doing it right. Mm-hmm. And in a sense, we should feel that way. I mean, it's it, we'll talk more about this later. But I mean, it's the human body. It's going to do what it's going to do. Mm-hmm. And yoga is about... <laughs> putting your body through the ringer to a certain extent, so that kind of thing's going to happen. But I find myself in the in the habit of thinking about the body from a as uh, it, this dichotomy of left and right. We're doing left side and the right side. So I find myself fearful. I'm like, oh well, I suppressed uh, flash flashwince on my right side, but now I have to worry about it on my left side, as if th- there are two different valves there.
3: As if you have two different anuses.
1: Exactly. And then I have to remind myself in the midst of the pose, Robert, you only have one anus. It's fine.
3: These so. are the thoughts that are going through your mind yes. while you practice yuka. Yes. Exactly. All right, a little insight. I like that.
1: All right, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will get even more into the colon. We will discuss oddities of the colon, things the colon can do that you might not think about on a normal basis. Um, so it, this podcast is going to become even more amazing in just a few moments.
0: Get
1: fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to AstaproAllergy.com for a discount so you can get Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O Allergy.com. Astapro and go. this directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies.
0: Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. If you haven't heard of Visible, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name.
3: All right, we're back. And uh we are going to start talking about some of the oddities of the colon, and uh I will tell you all, and you probably already know this, that I have a strong stomach for the world of scatology. But yes. uh brace yourselves because we're going to talk about reverse food consumption.
1: Yes. Now, probably the the entry point for for, for discussing reverse uh, food consumption is to talk about things that we're a little more familiar with. And, of course, uh, suppositories comes to mind. Uh, taking drugs in the rectum and then experiencing the effects of said drugs, again, in the rectum. Uh, drugs, take, uh, f- drugs take effect faster in the rectum because uh, it, you put them there, you're bypassing the stomach, the liver, the body's vomit up the poison defense mechanism. Uh, you're, you're getting it in through the back door, literally. Uh, and, and there's, it, this is where it can be a little dangerous too because you, there's, the defense systems are not there. It's just absorbing the, uh, the narcotic, the medication, what have you. And so for, for a long time people have known about this. Back in the third century AD, the Mayans used suppositories or perhaps quote-unquote, intoxicating enemas Mm -hmm. to uh, receive uh, uh, various narcotics. And then over years, people have used everything from opium to alcohol to tobacco, peyote, uh, fermented agave sap. Um, Software pioneer and expatriate uh, murder suspect John McAfee is a big fan of bath salts uh, in the anus. So he has a whole message board where he was apparently saying that this was the correct way to do it. Right. So what I'm saying is that it's, it's not a new idea. There is some... There is some absorption going on there. Mm-hmm. It's not the, it's not the, the upper intestines. It's not the small intestines where most of the nutrients are absorbed. So it's not the real, uh, money area of the, uh, digestion tract. But there is some absorption going on there. And yes, you can take medicine this way. In fact, uh, you can potentially poison somebody this way. And oh, right. Yeah. Some historians think that Emperor Claudius was poisoned via suppository at the behest of his wife, Agrippa.
3: So what what I'm hearing here is that people been have been sticking things up their patoots uh, since time immemorial. Yes. In some cases, it's for medical purposes. Uh, sometimes it is just for recreational purposes, as any ER staff member can tell you. Yes. And we have a humdinger of an example of it as an attempt to, as you say, absorb nutrients. The example comes uh, by way of Gulp, uh, Mary Rich's book. And she details President James Garfield's foray into this. We're talking eighteen eighty-one. We're talking about him taking a bullet to the liver.
1: Yeah, we are talking about a nutrient enema. Yes, which because... has thankfully fallen largely out of uh, out of out of favor, especially the type that you're about to discuss.
3: Yeah. Well, unfortunately, when he was his liver was grazed by that bullet. His doctor tried to perform surgery on him and actually uh, did not wash his hands and infected him. And he had a bacterial infection. And so presumably he could not eat in the traditional way that we eat. So that same doctor then prescribed the nutrient enema to him. And I would like to read out the contents of this enema. And this is a recipe uh, from Assistant U.S. Surgeon General C.H. Crane for rectal beef extract. Infuse a third of a pound of fresh beef, finely minced, in 14 ounces of cold, soft water, to which a few drops of muriatic acid and a little salt have been added. After digesting for an hour to an hour and a quarter, strain it through a sieve. The yolk of an egg is then added, along with two drams of beef peptinoids and five drams of whiskey. Do you know where we're going with this, guys?
1: Well, I know exactly where it's going. Up the bum. Up the bum. Because it actually, it sounds... As a recipe goes, it doesn't sound bad until you realize that where it is going—that it's talk- that we're talking about firing this up the anus in an attempt to to get the nutrients in that food absorbed by the body. I mean, it's it's ultimately really it's kind of sad and disturbing to think about it because here's a man that's dying. He his uh, he, the assassination attempt took place in 1881. He died uh, the same year. Mm-hmm. So this is a man who was who was dying, and they're trying this thing that doesn't really work. Because it doesn't matter how nutritious all of this stuff is, you're not going to be able to shoot it all the way up to the small intestines, to the area where, uh, where again, most of the energy, most of the nutrients were absorbed by the human body.
3: Yeah, and if you had noted, uh, the salt in the muriatic acid was not added as, as some sort of flavoring, obviously, but to break it down, to try to... Uh, sort of simulate those sort of, sort of same things that are happening in the stomach and the small intestine. The problem here again is, is that the small intestine is the part of your digestive system that takes those nutrients away. Uh, the colon is not a good place for this, right? Mm-hmm. You can, you can put it up there, you can put it in the rectum, but there's not much that's going to be absorbed. Uh, it is actually incapable of absorbing large molecules, fats, um, albumins, and according to Mary Roach, salt and glucose, some short-chain fatty acids, a few vitamins and minerals are about it. It's not much absorption going on.
1: Yeah, and it just created, I mean, she has descriptions in there talking about what this was like and how they, they abandoned put using raw eggs in it after a while. It was a stink. It was just horrible. So, I mean, I just really, I really felt for Garfield the whole time I was reading this because I'm like, oh, my, this is just not a dignified way for a man to have to spend his um you know his final months but then again i mean there are a lot of undignified ways to spend your your final uh period on earth so
3: yes and it may have prolonged his life a bit right it it would not you obviously could not be kept alive from this method of eating um or digesting or whatever reverse digesting or uh but it wasn't a time i mean you're, you're you're in a desperate moment, so you're going to try anything. And yeah. certainly his his physician was doing something that probably at the time was the most cutting edge thing that you could do uh, in this situation.
1: Yeah. And there was a fair amount of uh, rectal enthusiasm at the time anyway. I mean, uh, p- people were, it, it, this was an you know, age when people were a little more interested in, in what's going on in digestion. We've, we've talked mm-hmm. about this before. And, and I keep coming back to memories of the, the movie, The Road to Wellville, which yeah. fe- featured Anthony Hopkins as Kellogg. In fact, there's a great scene in that where he's prescribing um, yogurt to uh, Matthew Broderick's character. And he's, he says something to the effect of, oh, uh, I, I like yo- yogurt. And, he's, and he tells him, oh, it's not going in that end. So oh, right. Gonna be yeah. A-
3: and he was, uh, Kellogg was absolutely obsessed with feces output. Yes. he felt like this was pointing to the, the, the healthiest uh, status of a body, that it could produce as many feces as possible.
1: Yeah. And it. You know, it's uh, one of the things that really comes out in our study of this, and and Mary Roach really touches on a lot too, is that, okay, to to one extent was, you know, we we look at people like Kellogg. We we look at some of these uh, scientists who study uh, uh, the the, the lower end of digestion and uh, and proctology and and all of these areas, and there's a tendency to say all these people are way too into this topic. But it's, it's really more so many of us, are not into it at all. Like we don't want to think about it. And to, to, an, to a large extent, it's, it's often, um, an, an under, underappreciated area of study and an, and even an understudied area of the human body. Uh, uh, Mary Roach points out that, um, uh, like when it comes to, uh, to, to various like rectal cancers mm-hmm. and cancers of the bowels, like they, uh, they've, they've largely not received as much attention and as much, and there's, it's just harder to, to get across the importance of these things to, to people. And, and so it's, it's It seems that it's an area that we still need to, to work on. So many of us just culturally have an aversion to even thinking about what's going on down there.
3: Well, it's taboo, right, yeah. to a sense. Because any time that you start talking about uh, your digestive system and what it produces, there's this idea that we feel shameful about what our body produces. So yeah. it becomes this taboo subject. But, but it as, is us.
1: Like it, That it, stuff down there is not. It's like the, the whole idea of the, the, the mind-body connection, that we're not a rider on a horse. We are a centaur. We are one creature that is mind and body. And, and you are your, your rectum. You are your, your anus. You are your uh, small and large intestines.
3: So that's going to replace you are what you eat.
1: Yeah. I mean, you are the, you're the whole shebang. You, <laughs> and, uh, uh, like, for instance, I, not that long ago I was in a yoga class, and the teacher made reference of the anus. And, and referred to like you know how they're always saying mm-hmm. like oh set on your set bones you know arch your back and referring to various parts of the anatomy and she referred to the anus and it was actually really refreshing because I'm like this this is good we're in a space where we're we're talking about our bodies we're trying to improve our bodies let's treat our bodies with some monicum of respect and, and 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 don't fall into this trap of thinking that that there are parts of us that are gross and parts of us that, that aren't worthy of study and attention.
3: Well, Mary Richard kind of alluded to the fact that she thought that there was a sea change happening in terms yeah. of, of medicine and um, in the digestive system. And she was talking about fecal transplants being so completely off the wall four years ago, but now starting to enter mainstream. And the I think some of the reason why we're looking at things differently as so we're beginning to understand bacteria's role in the digestive system. And I think that is sort of an opening for people to say, oh, what is actually going on here? And wow, did you know that small intestine does the following things? Or, the stomach is ferreting out good bacteria, bad bacteria. So I think that helps the interest level to know that it's not just our waste. Yeah. Um, that sort of sins of a bad diet moving through us
1: yeah digestion doesn't stop at the stomach it as i mentioned in the last episode it in a sense it really doesn't get started until after we're done with the stomach because again all that nutrient absorption that's taking place in the small intestines
3: well here's something i want to ask and this is this is a question we can't really answer because we don't know anything but it um the color of our feces is brown right
1: Generally speaking, it depends.
3: We, right, right. Sometimes, and it just depends on what you eat too, yeah. right? There can be some some odd things that come out on the other end. Generally, it's brown, and this is because the bile comes from your gallbladder, and it helps your body digest food. And then it's metabolized by the bacteria in your large intestine, leaving behind a byproduct called stercobalin. Uh, and it's that stercobilin that gives stool the brown pigment. So without it... Your poo would actually be sort of a pale gray color, like white clay. Hmm. What if it? What if it were just white? Would We had. Is this a psychological thing? To brown? Well, I suppose brown got the association it did because of poop. So, you know, uh, it's just one of those little huh. mind play questions.
1: Yeah, I. It seems like I have. Uh, I have heard reference. There's some. Somebody had had joked about having um, white poop um, based on some sort of weird diet. Not to be confused with the episode of 30 Rock where Jenna Maroney has uh, ice-cold diarrhea from drinking too much Jamba juice. But,
3: (laughs) Uh, but, you know, if it were rainbow-colored, would we then look up in the sky and And look at the rainbow and be like, oh, that disgusting rainbow.
1: Yeah, I mean, it it does color the way we think about the world, for sure.
3: Yeah. All right, speaking about coloring the world, um, we should probably talk about the colon as... Mm, not just a storage unit for feces, but also in some cultural aspects, just a storage unit.
1: Yes. So we've we've all heard account. We've all probably read or seen some sort of like a prison movie where there's something smuggled inside somebody's uh, uh, rectum. Um, you know, so there's some great films that deal with this. Uh, like I instantly think of Papillon with uh, Steve McQueen and uh, Dustin Hoffman. Dustin Hoffman's character uh, is was of some wealth before he ended up in the uh, in the, the penal colony. Uh, and he has, uh, I think, like a pair of spare glasses and some money uh, stowed away up in there. And uh, so, so anyway, you can think of a million different stories, a million different books and, and, and shows that that feature this plot point because ultimately it is a great
0: place to hide something. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. If you haven't heard of Visible, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name.
4: LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here.
1: And it's ultimately not that far. It's not like a huge deviation uh, from what the, the colon is there for. It's not... It's not like you're, you know, um, you know, hacking a hole inside your head and storing things in there. Ultimately, your colon is a storage facility.
3: It is, and if you are in prison, then it's an important way to conduct commerce, right? Yeah. So this is from Mary Roach's book. She talks about this. She talks about how the rectum is actually referred to as a prison wallet. Yeah. And in some cases, a
1: vault. If you're particularly uh, limber and spacious.
3: Indeed, and uh, now keep this in mind: the, the reason why people do this. A pound bag of tobacco, on the outside, is worth twenty six dollars. On the inside, in prison, it's contraband. So the value of it is sixteen hundred dollars. Yeah, it's quite a markup. You can make quite a pretty penny or a lot of really good trades with this material.
1: Yeah. So the question quickly becomes: To what extent are is one willing to uh, limber up down there Mm -hmm. and uh, and create a little room and deal with a little uh, you know impatience of the bowels? Uh, to move this material into the prison. And, and then the other thing being, too, is that for something like tobacco, uh, the uh, prison guards and uh, prisoners she was talking to and uh, in, in, in interviewed in this fabulous chapter in Gulp, uh, they said that the consequences are not really that steep for smuggling of tobacco or yeah. a, a cell phone. Lots of cell phones coming in, too.
3: You temporarily lose your visiting privileges, right? Yeah.
1: So it's, you know, you weigh the risk versus the reward, and it tends to, to work out okay. It, at least... with these particular items. But there's a whole list of uh, contraband items that make their way into prison facilities uh, through these uh, rectal wallets.
3: Now, there are physical consequences, and the physical consequences here are that the stretch receptors in Mm. your rectum, well, they they begin to get worn out of it. It's sort of like the the poop that cried wolf, right? Because they begin to say, hey, there's something in my rectum. I should probably empty it. And then you as the inmate say to your body, no, that's just a smartphone. Shut up. Mm -hmm. And this goes on and on and on until your body is able to suppress that stretch receptor. And then, of course, the defecation reflex. The the consequence is that later on, you're going to have constipation.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing if you get, if you're one of these people that is always finding an excuse not to uh, poop. If you're like, I don't want to use a dirty uh, bathroom. Oh, I'm gonna, you know, I don't want to use uh, uh, this bathroom. Oh, I'm in the middle of something. Mm-hmm. Then over a long period of time, that could have its consequences.
3: Right, because the stretch receptors start to say, oh, you know what, you, you just keep uh, yeah. suppressing this, never mind. And then, of course, if you have feces up there, then it's just going to sit there. And, again, as we've talked about it, the water is going to be absorbed more and more from it. It's going to be more difficult to get it out. But you see this in the prison population is that there's a large complaint of constipation because of this um, prison wallet.
1: Yeah, it's a fascinating chapter. The individual she talks to, the prisoner, is is really awesome because he's just – he's very – I mean, he's a convicted murderer. uh, So I'm going to caveat to the the awesomeness of the uh, the individual. But still – He's very open about it all, just very like, yeah, this is how it works. This is uh, it, it, like his account of how the, the first thing he smuggled in uh, to the facility uh, happened to be some razor blades, I believe, or some blades uh, from a, uh, a work site.
3: This was also under pressure, by the way. He was yeah. in a gang. In the a gang. They clay. basically
1: said, look, you can either smuggle these blades in or you can wind up with one of these blades uh, you know, stuck in you. Yeah. So he had to... Limber up really quick. It was not a pleasant uh, experience for him, but he wrapped him up, got him in, and sort of kickstarted a uh, a prison career of uh, of smuggling things in. Anyway, I could go on and on. It's a great chapter. It's really illuminating uh, in uh, as far as, as what this kind of culture of smuggling things in uh, consists of. Because again, we've seen it a million times. We've heard about it a million times in various TV shows and movies and and whatnot. But Mary Roach does an, a nice like clinical analysis and cultural yeah. analysis. Of, of how it works,
3: well, and i what I like about it, too, is that it's not sensational. It's respectful because yeah. she really is interested in this idea, this body cavity what what can be done? What do we know from this from mm-hmm. from culturally, what people have been doing? And you know it, there's a, as we say, a very long history of people using the rectum for for this purpose. I mean, the fact is is that as humans we we kind of as much as we sort of try not to think about the digestive system and the colon or the anus. We are a bit obsessed with it, you can just look at something like colon irrigation as an example.
1: Yeah, the idea, let's flush it out. Let's flush out the works. Let's get some some liquids up in there, either just some straight water, some water with some chemicals, and then let it all come out. As we mentioned before, if you have solid waste up in there, then it's a lot easier to control. If you have water waste up in there, especially with a certain amount of pressure, it's coming out.
3: Yeah, and, um, colon cleansing has been around for a long time. Also called colonic hydrotherapy. I always think about it in that movie, L.A. Story. I don't know if you've seen that before. I never saw that, But it's, it's one one of the characters is is introduced to this. Oh,
1: you're going to say that uh, colon cleansing is is a character in the film. It is. In the same way the city is. It's got a lot of feelings.
3: Um, it's constantly being purged. Um, (laughs) but, you know, as you say, some chemicals are sometimes involved. Sometimes it's just herbs. Um, and what we're talking about is a tube inserted into the rectum, some water swished through. It does have ancient roots, um, but it was discredited by the American Medical Association in the early 1900s, and yet it persists. It keeps kind of having its heyday and coming in, into vogue. Well, I guess you could say it's
1: hard to dismiss the first of all the idea of it, like the, the just the basic like moral idea of there's this part of my body and it's loaded with stuff I don't like to think about. But clean water, let's shoot that up in there and just make it sparkly.
3: Well, I, you, you know, you just did a video on cognitive purification. Exactly.
1: In a way, it's cognitive purification of of our uh, lower intestines, of our colon, and it, it doesn't really make sense when you, when you really get down to the fact that the, the colon does what it does. Uh, there's no sense in spot cleaning it, you know? Um,
3: Nobody's uh, going to stay for a week up there. Yeah. Hopefully.
1: Um, and the, the other thing, too, um, the sensation. Of, uh, of, of receiving uh, one of these cleansings. Uh, I've, I've seen it described as it, c- it can be kind of in- intensive, but uh, the line between pleasure and pain is, uh, is often very uh, very slim, very ambiguous. And so uh, there's something to be said just for also the physical experience of this occurring, where I could see that would be, so you're going in, you're getting cognitively cleaned, and there is a definite physical component to the experience Throw in some, uh, you know, some some basic fluff about what's happening to you and why it's good for you. Mm -hmm. And uh, I can see why people would come back again and again.
3: Well, in 2011, Georgetown University, Dr. Ranit Mishori and her colleagues examined 20 studies that were published in medical literature in the last decade. And she says that while these reports show very little evidence of any kind of benefit, there is an abundance of studies that show that the side effects following the use of uh, a colon irrigation produces cramping, bloating, nausea, vomiting, electrolyte imbalance, and sometimes renal failure. Hmm. So this is one of those things that it's like, oh, well, it seems like it, you know, maybe it does have a benefit. I'll try it. Th- it actually has some, some very serious side effects to it um, that, that people should consider.
1: Yeah. Now, are we saying, no, don't ever put anything up your butt. No, we're not saying
3: that. That's your discretion. That's we're y- not. That's your discretion. Your. And we're just saying, like, if you were going to, if you had the choice, if you were like, I would like to get ear candling done and have earwax removed from my ear canal by uh, burning a flame to suck it up, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, versus, I'm going to have a colonic irrigation. Go for the earwax removal.
1: Now, someone was telling me the other day that doesn't work. Um, I mean that it's not helpful. I don't know. I, it, well,
3: it's the idea is that the idea is great. Well, that again, it's cognitive purification, right? I don't you, want to see this yuck stuff come out of my body, but yes,
1: you do. That's the thing we really do. We want to see yuck stuff come out of our body. You think that's it's, it, the it's, fascination it's the first thing of it? You yeah. know it's the fascination. <laughs> we want to be like, oh, that pus that just came out of my body is disgusting, but it's not inside me anymore.
3: But that that earwax is the first line of defense. Yeah. Okay. So because if you've got some sort of bacteria or stuff that's entering through your ear canal, it's gonna get caught in the earwax. So you don't yeah. wanna remove it.
1: But it's a great bonding experience. Because you generally have to trust somebody a lot to, for them to hold that candle in place over your head and almost catch your head and the sofa on fire. Well,
3: I was gonna say, it is quite, a, I've, I did it, of course. You By know, yourself? I was crazy in my twenties. Um, or with no, a no, with a friend. Because See? you've got the paper yeah. plate and you've got the, the, the thing that's on fire over, as you say, over your ear and then you've got the crackling going on that you can hear from the flame, um, it's it's. I, I wouldn't really recommend it to anyone.
1: One thing we can be sure about, do not use it rectally. <laughs> oh, if you're going to do it, only use it in the ear canal. <laughs> like, if, if you had to choose between uh, the the, 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 uh, the rectal irrigation uh-huh. and uh, and using the ear candle rectally, I'd just go for the irrigation. Well, you know hydrogen,
3: That's, right? Hydrogen is up there. It's in the rectum. You do not some want nothing, so. uh, 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 it's some sort of source like a flame near that. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like legally this episode is just... No. no yeah.
1: No, that's the thing. We we keep stressing. It's This is all part of our body and how it works. And the more we understand how it works, the more uh, the more free we are with talking about it and hearing discussions about it, then uh, the, the more in tune we are with the overall mind-body connection. All
3: right. So just for the lawyers out there, maybe even our lawyers, we are not at all recommending that you do ear candling or no, anus no. candling or choline irrigation at all. Don't do it.
1: Oh, another thing uh, you should never do, um, rectally, by the way, uh, probably avoid um, holy water enemas. Uh, this actually existed. Mary Roach goes into this as well. In the 1600s in uh, France, uh, one exorcist used this as a means to get holy water into the possessed, allegedly possessed person. Mm-hmm. The idea here being that a lot of times salt is added to holy water. And there are a few different reasons that this is done, apparently, but... Uh, the bottom line is, if it's salted holy water, you cannot drink a bunch of it. Uh, so, how's a man to get holy water into uh, someone possessed by uh, Beelzebub? Well, you use an enema, apparently.
3: Well, because uh, so the idea is that Beelzebub is taking refuge in, in the inside honey. the body. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. perhaps inside the guts, uh, where all this uh you know unholy, uh, unwholesome stuff is going on. Uh, so let's pump some water up in and flush him out. Not not advised. It's not a part of the like the official exorcism uh, uh, documentation. So, that's good. Yeah. That's
3: good. The updated one, huh?
1: All right. So that is all. Um, hopefully, that's a, just a nice overall about uh, about the colon, about the rectum, a uh, little bit about how the anus works, and uh, and again, hopefully, we can in a way we've we've had some fun with it, but we've demystified it. Uh, I recommend picking up Mary Roach's book to reading more about it. And just in general, I'd recommend reading more about how your digestive system works. Uh, we have a, an article, a uh, pretty good overview on the website on how stuff works, how the digestive system works. It'll take you through everything we've discussed uh, in very basic details. And so as we, uh, as we take it out here, as we call it a day in the podcast studio, I'd like to close with uh, a little music. You're all familiar with Screaming Jay Hawkins, who, uh, did the classic song, I Put a Spell on You. He had kind of this voodoo man vibe. Mm-hmm. Well, he also did another, uh, little number in 1969 called Constipation Blues.
3: Not quite as popular.
1: Not quite as popular because this is 69 and, uh, and especially then, like, people didn't want to think about people straining on the toilet and about the, the agonies of, uh, of constipation. But Screaming Jay Hawkins, he's, uh, he's a brutally honest man. So let's, uh, let's hear a little from this, uh, fabulous number.
4: Ladies and gentlemen, most people record songs about love, heartbreak, loneliness, being broke. Nobody's actually went out and recorded a song about real pain. The band and I have just returned from the general hospital where we caught a man in the right position. We named this song Constipation Blues. BIRDS CHIRP <inhale> <sharp inhale>
1: We'd love to hear from you. You can find us online You're at stuffblowyourmind.com. You can find us on Facebook where we are stuff man. Man. You can find us on Twitter where our handle is blow the mind, and uh, on YouTube we have a video channel, Mind Stuff Show.
3: And if you'd like to drop us a line, please do so at blowthemindatdiscovery.com. <laughs>
2: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.
0: Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent.